everyone, and welcome to episode 185 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. We're back. I know we missed last week due to some crazy traveling schedules from everyone, but we're back this week. We are two-manning it. CVM is a bit under the weather, so it is me, Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and of course, Richard. How's it going this week, Richard? Hey, Seth. I'm doing well. How about you? Ah, I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. We actually have a ton to talk about this week. I think maybe in part because we missed last week, the the topics kind of add up a little bit. And we have a bunch of just like really kind of strange, weird topics. Uh, Being our announcement today, there's been this conversation about Chalice of the Void and rules lawyering and cheating. Uh, We've had this topic of fake cards emerge, uh, some arena news, maybe some Alex Bertoncini stuff if we have time, and of course, fish mail. So, We're talking about a lot of just random interesting topics today, but first, before we jump into it, a reminder to everyone that today's show is sponsored by SpikesAcademy.com, the first Magic the Gathering e-learning academy in the entire world. Their online courses come from some of the best players in Magic, like PVDDR, Paulo Vitor, Dama De Rosa. You can check them out at SpikesAcademy.com, get 10% off with the cold goldfish, and uh, also Spikes underscore Academy on Twitter if you want to learn more. So thank you to them for their support, and uh, yeah, I guess we just jump right into it with uh, this scattered amount of topics. So, Richard, being our announcement, can you fill us in on all the wonderful changes and all the miserable cards that are <laughs> that we no longer have to play with? That's easy, Seth. No changes. Yeah, no changes. I guess. What are your thoughts on this? Were you expecting any changes, Richard? No, I mean, I don't. We already had, you know, the major legacy shakeup. Modern's chugging along. Standard. No one's even been talking about standards, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't think anyone was expecting anything, and we didn't really get anything. So it's kind of just business as usual. Yeah, I mean, I think there were some fingers crossed over maybe like a KCI banning, something to do with Ironworks, but I don't know. The performance wasn't insane at the Pro Tour. We saw it on camera losing a lot, so maybe it's been figured out, or maybe you only can win if you're Matt Nass, and he just is really good with the deck, so maybe that was a little bit uh, overblown, but we got no changes. Standard, I think it's silly to expect changes when we have rotation in five weeks or something. We're just so close. Probably no reason to mess with anything until we see what Guilds of Ravnica maybe does in the format, and like you said, Legacy already got the shakeup, and seemed to be pretty exciting at the Pro Tour, so I I guess it's in a good spot. As someone who doesn't really play Legacy often, but watches it when it's on camera, it seems like it's in a pretty accessible and fun spot, at least by Legacy standards. Yeah, I mean, I have a pretty good metric for when to expect BNR changes. Is there a high-profile Pro Tour coming up featuring, <laughs> you know, the, the format of choice? If yes, then expect something to happen. If no, then don't. So even if Wizards thinks KCI needs a banning or something, they're going to save it for right before the Pro Tour to, you know, they they can shake it up because they can't shake it up too much, right? So they're going to save it right before the high profile event. So, so that's a, that's a secret tip from Richard. (laughs) <laughs> Speaking uh, of the Pro Tour, I forgot to mention this. Uh, interestingly, they had an organized play announcement, which was actually kind of like a non-announcement. We didn't learn a whole lot other than the next, uh, the winter Pro Tour is going to be in Cleveland in February. But the interesting thing they did say, which you made me think of it talking about the bannings in the Pro Tour, is they're going to start not announcing the Pro Tour formats until like two to three months ahead of time. At least that's what they're planning on doing. So it's going to be interesting 
thing. What do you make of that? Like, do you think that has anything to do with bannings or like why, what would be the reason to make that change? Yeah, I like, I have no idea. My guess is they look at the metagame and they're like, is modern exciting? Yeah, put it on. Like, that's the only way this makes sense because why would they hide this information from players? Players actually need to plan around these things. Do I need to save up for a legacy deck? No one knows, right? So it, it's a very weird change. And my guess is they're going to keep a pulse on what's hot and what's not. And, you know, which B&Rs they have coming up. Are they releasing a modern <laughs> master set and change the format accordingly? Like, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, I that was my first thought, too, is they just they want to see, like, the level of complaining about standard. And if it's really high, <laughs> then they'll they'll make it modern or teams or something. But if there's not a lot of complaining, then it'll probably be standard. So, I mean, I guess more flexibility is nice. It's nice to know that uh, we could just have a surprise modern pro tour or something. But it's also really strange, especially with the amount of work that goes into qualifying for pro tours and the different formats and like looking at the team pro tour that really changed up the whole PTQ system like to make it work so some of that stuff I don't think would work on short notice it's not like you just be like hey two months from now it's a team pro tour go find <laughs> go find a couple of people to play with everyone this will be great so yeah. interesting uh so yeah I guess that's being our announcement not really any sense in talking about it more the next one is right around when guilds of ravnica releases i believe the week before october 1st is what someone told me so uh, not too long until we get another one so we will wait and see what happens then moving on uh have you been on twitter this week at all richard there's been this massive conversation in the community about chalice of the void so this started from Jerry Thompson, actually, pose this hypothetical situation. If you control a Chalice of the Void and you have a gut shot, your opponent's at one life, is it cheating or angle shooting or a Jedi mind trick if you wait a couple turns and then try to lethal your opponent with that gut shot through your Chalice of the Void? So that's how it started, but then it just kind of spiraled into this huge conversation. So did you catch any of that? What are your thoughts on the original question and then everything that kind of came after? Yeah, um, so for the original question, I think it's actually pretty black and white, because since you control the chalice, uh, you need to announce its trigger. So if you cast Gutshot and immediately announce your chalice trigger, that's that's fine, right? People actually do things like this, like, for example, they're trying to get Thought Seizes out of their hands, they're trying to fill their graveyard, so, you know, that's actually a valid play. Now, if you cast Gutshot... And just ho-hum around and wait and see if your opponent concedes. And you're like, well, I was going to announce my chalice trigger, but I'm just going to take 15 seconds before I do it. I think that's the scenario that Jerry Thompson is talking about. Is that scummy? Is that angle shooting? And I think it is. I, I think if you know about this and, you know, you just... You just like drag it out and don't do it and wait for your opponent to make a mistake. It's kind of like Vendillion click or say Thoughtseize, where you say, I'm going to Thoughtseize, and then your opponent drops their hand immediately, and you're like, Oh, I meant myself. Or, you know, <laughs> I'm going to Vendillion click, and they drop their hand, and you're like, Oh, I meant myself. You don't have to show me your hand. But then you proceed to write down their entire hand. <laughs> it's kind of like that, right? Like, if you, you, you should announce it immediately in a timely fashion. So I think in the original scenario, uh, it is scummy, and if you don't announce it, it's it's not cheating per se, because you can actually just forget, right? It's whatever it is, it's a game rules violation or whatever. 
Uh, but if you, if you know how this works and you do it, I do think it is scummy that, you know, you're, you're trying to wait for your opponent to concede as you stall out the maximum amount of time before you have to announce your trigger. Yeah, I mean, I think the initial scenario pretty much is cheating. Like, I think it's cheating, but there has to be intent involved, I think, for it to be cheating. Because like you said, people can legitimately forget, but I think if you are not forgetting and somehow it could be proved that you were intentionally doing it and not accidentally forgetting your trigger then i think that is the definition of cheating actually if you just forget and it's unintentional it's still a a games rule violation like you said but i think that's pretty cut and dry the more interesting conversation that kind of sprung out of this was what about if it's your opponent that controls the chat list like that's what the conversation kind of kind of morphed into and and for me, that seemed pretty black and white that that's not cheating. Like, you are not responsible for your opponent's triggers. If you want to cast stuff into your opponent's uh, Chalice of the Void and hope that they forget to, you know, resolve their trigger, I think that that's not cheating or even scummy or angle cheating or anything. But what's your take? Like, there's a lot of people that seem to think that that was at least scummy if it wasn't cheating in some people's definition. So what do you think on that side, Richard? Yeah, I think I agree with you. I think it's pretty black and white. Um, you're not responsible for your opponent's triggers. And you're free to cast your spell into Chalice. And they have to say, you know, I trigger my Chalice. It's it's like, to me, it's the same as, like, let's say you're actually dead on board. Uh, and your opponent makes the wrong attack. Is it your responsibility to tell them, oh, no, you should actually attack this way to kill me? Like, no, right? It's like they need to play their game. If they have a chalice, they need to remember the trigger. So if I gut shot you and you forget to, you know, trigger your chalice, that's, you know, that's that's your fault, right? So I don't think that is scummy, and you are well within your rights to do that. So I, I, don't, I don't see the controversy there either, right? Especially, you know, we're talking about high-level magic. Right? If it's your kitchen table, right? And if you're playing with your friend and they're brand new to the game, yeah, maybe doing something like that is scummy, right? Like you're trying to teach them and you're just kind of like getting on the technicalities of it, right? And, you know, but at like high level magic, you, you shouldn't, that shouldn't happen. It's kind of like taking back an attack, right? We all know you're not supposed to, but if you're just playing around the kitchen table uh, and your friend wants to take back an attack, then whatever. But if you ask me if you want to take back an attack, you know, at a Grand Prix, I'll just be like, no, <laughs> right? And like that, that's it, right? Like, so I think in the, in the context of competitive magic, you know, you, you are free to cast into Chalice all you want and whoever owns the Chalice needs to announce the trigger of the Chalice. So, um, yeah, I definitely agree a hundred percent on that. I think I could see an argument that at an FNM even, it might be scummy. I don't think it's cheating. I guess it just depends on the scenario, but I think for sure at a GP or at a Pro Tour, I don't think it's even a little bit scummy. I think at an FNM, personally, I would probably feel a little bit uncomfortable depending on my opponent and stuff. Like at that level of play, I think it's a little more of a gray area, but yes, uh, I think it's kind of a silly conversation and I don't even really understand where people are coming from that think that it's uh, scummy or cheating. I guess the best explanation I heard was, I think it was from Lee Sharp, uh, who used to do Magic Online, now works on Magic Arena, but his argument 
not saying that it was scummy, but he could see how it was scummy because Chalice clearly is intended to work kind of like Sanctum Prelate. Like, if they made Chalice of the Void today, it would just say you can't cast a spell of that converted mana cost, and this whole conversation would be avoided. So I could see that, like, if you're a new-ish player, when you read Chalice of the Void, you think, all right, the idea of this card is you can't cast the thing of that converted mana cost. That's how it works. And trying to cast a spell through it is, like, kind of trying to, like, get this edge case. But the way the card is worded, like, it's clearly not cheating, and that's how it's supposed to work. So I don't know. Yeah, I, I can see where that that's coming from. So is our takeaway that Wizards needs to fix their templating on cards <laughs> so that these situations are avoided? Because you're uh, right, like some of, you know, things like Oblivion Ring, where you can uh, accidentally loop itself or whatever. They, they fix these things by just changing the wording so that it's no longer possible, right? So, you know, you, you can't accidentally, uh, use any of the new O-rings on your own creatures, because they all say your opponent's stuff or whatever. So maybe going forward, they gotta fix things that don't need to be triggers shouldn't be triggers so people can't forget them. Yeah, so I think I think they're already doing that because we saw Sanctum Prelate in Conspiracy or whatever, and it was worded uh, exactly the way we were just talking about. Instead of saying, oh, it's countered if you cast it, it just says you can't cast the spell of the chosen converted mana cost. So I think Wizards did realize that, but I don't think you can go back. Someone brought up, what should we go back? I think it was Professor uh, Tulare Community College. Is there any way we should go back and, like, errata chalice to make it like Sanctum Prelate? And I think that that's probably a slippery slope and not a good idea <laughs> how many cards would be included in this errata that's the oh. because i mean they do do things like this right if you remember the beta draft if you look at any of those old cards their oracle text doesn't match what's written on them right <laughs> they've been retemplated so maybe you can rehaul chalice but i think it's such an edge case that no one you know it doesn't really matter right like if you're the type of person to do this in your casual setting you're gonna find other ways to rules lawyer your friends and do scummy <laughs> things anyway right it's like how are you gonna stop that right and uh, at a high at, you know at high level play you should know how these cards work like you should know that this is a thing that you need to remember this so i, I don't i don't see what you know I, I don't think we need to go back and revise all the existing cards just for this because then there's going to be another scenario and another one and another one and yeah, I mean, do all the cards. A lot of a lot of old cards work in really wonky ways that they wouldn't work today. Like if you look at some crazy legacy cards and even some of the earlier modern cards. So, I think that if you were going to try to modernize all the cards, you would literally be updating hundreds or maybe thousands of cards if you're going to make them uh, in the same way that if Wizards printed that card for the first time today in 2018, it would be a massive number of cards that would have to be errated. So, I think it's probably better to avoid that, but I don't know. I think it's an interesting conversation uh, about Chalice because it really does kind of break down, I think, casual versus competitive. Like, the pros and the spikes see that, and they're like, clearly there's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's what the rules say. That's how the card works. I'm not doing anything wrong. But then more casual players here are like, hey, hang on a second. Like, you're not supposed to be able to cast a spell through my chalice. Like, that's that's a little bit sketchy. So I think it's really interesting to see how the two different sides uh, kind of break down. But in this case, I think the pros are right, at least by the letter of the law. I don't think it's cheating to cast something through your opponent's chalice. Yeah. 
Anyway, let's move on. Another big conversation of this weekend was fake cards. So I wrote an article about it. You can check it out on the website. Other people have been talking about it. But the thing that kind of was strange is I knew this article was going up Sunday. Over this weekend, we had a couple of different scenarios come up at tournaments involving fake cards. We had uh, one of the Jessups was playing a PTQ at the GP this weekend and ended up having multiple fake cards. I think they were Cavern of Souls and Horizon Canopies in their Modern Humans deck and got deck checked and got a game loss. And then Jim Davis had someone come up to him at the GP and ask him to sign Dark Confidants. And as soon as he touched them, he was like, oh my God, these are not real. So we've had like all of a sudden fake cards become this big topic of conversation in the community. So what are your thoughts on the fake card situation, Richard? It's unfortunate. Like it, so... Let's talk about the people that buy fake cards that don't know they're fake. So say you go on eBay, say you go on TCG Player, uh, you buy some cards, they show up, you're like, awesome, sleeve them up, play them, show up at a Grand Prix, they deck check you, and they're like, sorry, you have eight fake cards, right? That is probably the worst feeling in the world, right? Because you're getting a game loss for something that you didn't really know was happening. And on top of that, on top of the game loss, you know, you you bought fake cards, right? You You spent hundreds of dollars or whatever and you got things that you didn't want so i think that's really bad and i think it's on watsy to fix that um the hollow foils that they do the new printing process they do are working towards that but there are so many old cards and we will continue to play with old cards i don't know how they're actually going to solve it but it's i think it's unreasonable to have players be able to check all their cards to make sure they're 100% legit. Now, at the same time, if you don't give people a game loss, they will knowingly go out and buy fake cards. And these are the people that are actually trying to buy fake cards to save money or whatever. And you want to keep those people out as well, right? So the question is, do you want to hit some innocent bystanders, you know, people that accidentally buy fake cards, or do you just want to let people get away with it, the, the counterfeiters playing with their, their fake cards? And that's a hard question, but it's a really unfortunate situation, and we're all going to get hit by it, whether we want to or not, eventually, I think. Like, there's there's no way to officially get official cards from Watsi. I can't go buy a Cavern of Soul from Wizards of the Coast, aside from, you know, cracking booster boxes. Right, so I need to trust. Hey, you know, does Channel Fireball verify these cards? Does Card Kingdom verify these cards? And even they can make mistakes, right? So it's it's just a very tough situation. Yeah, it is definitely. I don't know if there's a solution to it either. Like, I definitely feel super bad for people that accidentally buy fake cards because uh, that's that's got to be crushing because cards are really expensive. And I can't imagine spending, you know, thousands of dollars to build a deck and finding out a lot of your most expensive cards are fake. But at the same time, the counterfeit community and the fake card community, they know that that's that everyone feels like that and feels bad for the person that accidentally does that. So they have it kind of planned out that if they go to a tournament and someone deck text checks them and finds out that they have fake cards, they're just going to be like, oh, I bought them on eBay. Oh my God, I can't believe that happened. I'm so disappointed. So it is a really sticky situation. I feel like you have to hand out some kind of penalty for fake cards because if you don't, it would be very easy for the fake cards to keep 
growing and the counterfeit cards to become more popular. And I think that that's a pretty dangerous proposition for the game. I imagine that Wizards is probably not very happy with uh, the way that fake cards are improving. And now we're to the point where we have foil cards and masterpiece cards and the hologrammed on cards. And while the quality is kind of debatable and maybe not that good in every situation, it's scary that that's happening. Because a few years ago, when fake cards first kind of became a big issue, it was like, oh, it's really low quality. It's a small number of cards. But things have definitely changed a lot as magic has continued to get more expensive. And I don't know what we do. I really don't think Wizards can solve the problem. Because like you said, even if they can solve it moving forward, there's no way to solve your future Tarmogoyf or your revised Underground Sea. Those cards are out there and there's not really anything that you can do to prove that they're authentic. And as we see more and more of this, I feel, I'm afraid that it's just going to undercut confidence in the game and in the market in general. Like if uh, you can't trust that the card you buy on TCG Player from Channel Fireball is authentic what can you really do like how how do you go about acquiring magic cards confidently yeah um so part of the problem is cards are just so expensive right it's profitable uh for these counterfeiters to to do this and you also feel a need as a player right like if if the card was 50 cents like would i bother going through all of this to save two dollars for a playset of something like no but when, you know, a card is $600, would I do some shady things to save money? Some people might, right? So part of the problem is cards are just so expensive. Uh, so part of the problem can be solved by wizards reprinting cards and then reprinting cards with high security so that they can't be counterfeited in the future. So part of it does lie in Watsi's hand, right? Like these counterfeiters are serving a demand a sketchy demand, but a demand nonetheless. And Wizards could also serve that demand. Yeah, I think that that is probably the easiest solution. And I don't know... I don't know if there can ever be a complete solution on Wizards End, because I can't imagine that they're going to get rid of the reserve list. And I don't know what you can do about that. If Wizards won't get rid of the reserve list, there's not really any way to solve it. I would like to see, like, do you remember the World Championship decks or, like, Collector's Edition? Like, not tournament legal cards reprinted by Wizards, at least for people that just want to play on their kitchen table. It doesn't really do anything to help with the tournament angle. And I think that that's... That's one of the things I've realized is a lot of people feel like it's too expensive to play tournament magic. You got to pay $1,000 or $1,500 for your modern deck if you want to choose any deck that you like, and even more for a legacy deck. So what do you do about those players? Like, what is the right price of magic? Is there any way that wizards can make modern cheap enough that there isn't going to be as much demand for counterfeit cards? Or is this just a problem that we got to learn to live with? Yeah. So I think we're we're pretty much in agreement for tournament magic, right? Like using counterfeits is is bad. What if we take it to the kitchen tables? Let's say you and your friends all know. We're like, hey, I don't want to buy Tarmogoyfs. I'm gonna buy these ten dollar fake Tarmogoyfs. And you all agree, right? And you know, you tell your friend you're not tricking your friends or anything. Is it still okay? At this point. I would- everyone knows and you're all just playing with fake cards and stuff like that. So my I would say yes that's okay but I would say that buying fake cards is still not the way to go about it because you don't need 
realistic fakes that are designed to trick people into thinking that they are real cards to be able to do that on the kitchen table. Like, even if you don't want to just sharpie up a basic land and write Tarmogoyf on it, there's ways that you can make pretty cool-looking playtest or proxy cards to play on your kitchen table. Because I think my concern is, if you're buying the counterfeit cards, even indirectly you're still like supporting the counterfeiters and giving your money to the people who are making fake cards and kind of uh, it's like the whole vote with your wallet thing like if you're if you think that fake cards are a danger to the game why would you give your money to the people who are making fake cards even if you're going to use them ethically quote unquote to just play them on your kitchen table you're still kind of like perpetuating the problem i think if you're buying those cards especially since there's other options for your kitchen table that isn't buying a $200 Tarmogoyf, but also isn't giving money to people who are trying to scam people by making fake cards. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're the kind of person that doesn't care about art or anything, you know, like, yeah, we've all sharpied on cards, or if we're feeling, you know, extra fancy, we'll, we'll actually print a proper proxy, maybe with no art, but it'll be actually Oracle text that's written up. But then, you know, then there's people that get slightly fancier, they'll actually print card images on black and white, you know, printers. And then there'll be the kind that go to Kinko's and print full color pictures. And then the natural step of that is, you know, actually someone printing them at a card printing factory. And there's a whole spectrum of this. And I, I agree with you that it's supporting this business that you probably shouldn't be supporting. But at the same time, like cards are just so expensive. And if you want a fun experience, like what are you supposed to do? So I think the only way Wizards can actually solve this is just print gold-bordered versions of everything, but they're not going to do that, right? They might print, say, gold-bordered versions of Tarmogoyf. But what about cards that are, say, $10? Are they going to do that? Are they going to print every modern card and gold-bordered and charge $0.05 cents or whatever? Like, they're not going to do that, right? So people will turn to these counterfeiters, and I suspect the majority of people buying from them are, uh, like, let's say, parents, like, they know they're fake cards. You, like, you know, some parents may not know, but I bet you a lot do. And they're like, well, my son is 10 years old. He's 12 years old. He doesn't care. He just wants to play with his friends. So I'll buy some of these fake cards for him. Right? And, you know, in that scenario, I don't know. Right? It's not good, but it's also not that bad. You know what I but mean? what happens... Like, I, I can see what you're saying, but what happens when... Uh, that kid plays magic for a couple years, goes off to college, and then the parents find the cards, you know, in their attic or whatever, put them on Craigslist, and then all of a sudden, even unintentionally, someone ends up getting scammed based on those cards. Like, yeah, the more those cards get in circulation, uh, even if you're buying them to play on your kitchen table the odds that they eventually circulate and get out there and cause problems, I think it just, like, increases. I don't know. I guess my take is... That it's wrong even for your kitchen table, just because of the issue I said, where I feel like you're supporting something that you probably shouldn't be supporting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's it's like pirating movies or something, right? You're like, yeah, it doesn't hurt anyone, but then you're like, but in aggregate, it does hurt someone, right? And you're supporting something you're not supposed to support, but ah. I mean, it's basically pirating, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's, instead of pirating a movie, yeah. you're pirating magic cards, right? Like, it actually is the same case. And I don't know, it's just, it's so tough. And there's there's no answer outside of make it not profitable to pirate, right? Like, nowadays, it's so easy to watch a movie 
there's just simply no reason to go into the dark corners of the internet and try to like find a movie where you can pay you know a dollar at Redbox to get it or pay five dollars ten dollars a month for Netflix and that's how they've kind of solved it there so maybe one day magic will be cheap enough that no one needs to resort to piracy it's just not worth the effort I don't know so that's that's actually an interesting point is when I was talking to people about this on Twitter, some people use the music industry as an example. And I think it's kind of the same yeah. with the movie industry, but basically like those industries had this huge scare over pirating thinking it was going to like ruin their industry, but they managed to like adapt. And now we have Spotify and we have Netflix and the industries had to adapt and change, but they still found a way to survive through this huge piracy thing. Is it possible for wizards to do that beyond just saying, all right, we're not going to make paper cards anymore to avoid this problem. We're just only going to support digital, which I feel is a pretty extreme step. Is there any way wizards could do that? I've heard people say like living card game. They said switch to a living card game, sell us a, a box set of fetch lands for 50 bucks and wizards makes tons of money. I feel like the problem is wizards probably makes a lot less money like that or from their perspective i assume that that's the issue is there even a way that you can that wizards could adapt to get around this problem yeah i think going digital solves that altogether, right but i I don't know because part of the appeal of magic is that it's so expensive like it or not wizards keeps the price of the game high because that's part of the appeal right like you can sell a lamborghini for a tenth of the cost, but part of its appeal is it's a luxury car and it's like super expensive, right? I feel like that's actually one of the key things of Magic, which many of us don't agree with, but that is Magic's brand, right? Nothing stops Wizards from tanking the price of all the cards tomorrow or releasing, uh, say, all the cards in a box set, like something like Dominion, where it's not randomized, but you just buy this here. Here's Cons of Tarkir. It's every card in Cons of Tarkir. They could do that, but... Part of their brand is keeping things expensive. And I don't know how they're going to keep things expensive and fight through the counterfeiters without just going digital. So so I don't know what you can do in the paper space. I'm not as confident that it can be solved. Because remember, most of these parallels we've drawn to music and movies, it's digital. Right? They, how do you solve pirating CDs? No one has CDs anymore, right? We just moved to MP3s and we encrypt them and you get them through Spotify or whatever, right? We stream them now. So I don't I don't know how you protect the, the physical assets. Yeah, and if you look at this in other non-digital spaces, uh, for example, I don't know, designer clothes or sunglasses or whatever, there's been some research into it saying that uh, it's not the end of the world for the original company because the counterfeits are usually shoddy and it actually doesn't hurt the original brand. But I don't think that that carries over to magic because I mean, in theory, a magic card is a magic card. It's not like, Oh, the, <laughs> the, the your real Nikes are better than the $20 ones you bought off whatever Chinese website. And they're not made better or stitch better. Like a magic card. It's either, is or it isn't there's uh, and i guess there's some argument that the quality isn't even as good for the original <laughs> cars at the moment it's the counterfeits don't curl set the counterfeits don't curl <laughs> but i i don't think that 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 actually works with magic like it would with designer sunglasses or clothing or something where you're clearly getting a better version of it if you buy the original yeah i, th- I think that's the problem right most people are like it's a piece of cardboard why am i paying a hundred dollars <laughs> 
and if 99% of the world can't tell you know it's like why bother right and it is a real issue like when I bought my Tarmogoyz I wanted Future Sight Tarmogoyz but I didn't want to deal with the hoopla of figuring out if it's real or fake so I just bought Modern Masters one with the foil <laughs> stamp right because I'm like okay this I, I am more confident that these will be real because I don't want to sit here with like two slightly different color Tarmogoyz but you know this one was printed one year later or this is the European version and it has slightly different printing process or whatever right like I don't want to deal with any of this and I imagine other people don't either right and the fact that I have to think about this it's a problem like when I buy an iPhone I'm probably not thinking is this a fake iPhone or not right like I'm pretty sure it's an iPhone so I would like to have that confidence with magic cards and I don't know how if you're telling me masterpieces and things like that are starting to get counterfeits as well yeah, I will say that right now, and the counterfeits are improving rapidly, which is the scary part, but right now the hologram is still a big deal. They do have counterfeits with the hologram, but apparently the hologram is pretty low quality, so you are still fairly safe at this point, especially if you check the hologram and make sure that it's actually like built into the card and not just pasted on top or something. So you're still pretty safe buying hologram cards. So that is something you can do to protect yourself. Although they keep the, the fake cards keep improving. So who knows if that will be true five years from now or three years from now or next year. Yeah. And I've also heard that there's just no money in this because if, if you take the time to perfect printing fake cards, you then tank the price of such cards, right? And then therefore you don't make any money. So it's kind of circular like that. And that's why maybe, you know, if you were such an expert in reproducing printing things, maybe you should be faking money or faking other valuable things, right? People say the original comics, like the original Batman or whatever, you know, if you want to fake something, you should probably fake that, right? So there is that argument as well that, we will never get there because it's there's simply no money in this and no one cares. Maybe that's true. Although, on the other hand, I assume you're much less likely to get in trouble if you make a, a fake magic card compared to printing U.S. dollars or something. <laughs> like I, I think there's a lot less scrutiny for magic cards than there are for maybe some of the other criminal activities you could try to make money with or counterfeiting activities. That's true. And also, there may actually be perfect counterfeits out there today but we just don't know about them because you think they're real cards right that's the most that is true the most likely way you would get real fake cards is you know wizards contract some company to print these cards right and they're like print a thousand sheets of whatever this is that company instead prints two thousand sheets and takes the other thousand and does something with them right and that's actually how a lot of counterfeits actually happen right they come from the place that actually manufactures the real thing Except people take them or people make more than they should, right? And then those things are released and then no one knows. But for us, they're actually quote unquote real cards, right? Because we can't actually tell. They're actually identical. And I mean, that's not completely unbelievable considering we had that, was it the Ixalan <laughs> sheet that Ixalan, just kind of walked out guy, the door and yeah. ended up on the internet? Some so guy just casually walked out with like a giant like 10 by 10 <laughs> foot sheet of foil. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so any other thoughts on uh, fake cards, Richard, or should we move forward? Uh, well, 
Magic Arena can't have fake cards. <laughs> that's that's a perfect segue into our next topic, which is some arena changes. So Arena had a bit of an update, and I gotta say the client's working pretty well right now, so I've been impressed with that. But they had an update. The big news was they're doing kind of like their version of the fire what's the what's the Hearthstone weekly event? I can't think of the name right now. Oh. Tavern Brawl? Or you Tavern or, Brawl, yes, yes, yes. Project? What are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, Tavern Brawls. But they're basically trying to do a Tavern Brawl type thing, where every week there's a different unique event going up on Magic Arena, and included among, like, oh, standard where you start at 40 life, is a couple of formats people were pretty excited for in Pauper and also Momir. So those formats are coming on this, like, rotating weekly basis, weekend basis. The thing is, uh, people have not been super excited about the prize payout so just as a, a quick refresher on how these events work 600 gold to get in which is actually like 100 more I believe than a quick constructed which is 500 and the maximum amount of rounds you get is 3 because it goes till 2 wins or 2 losses so at most you're getting 3 games and the prize is the best amount of gold you can get is 100 although if you get the max wins you do get a booster pack as well which it's kind of weird, like, some people will value that very highly, because it costs a thousand gold, so if you really want the cards, it's great, but if you're trying to jump into another Popper event or Mobier event, having a booster pack and a hundred gold doesn't really help you get the six hundred gold you need to play another event, so, uh, any thoughts on these events on Arena, Richard? I think Watsi kind of missed the point of these events. <laughs> so the reason why Popper, Popper and Momir was so popular in Moto, and so popular is very relative, right? They're not as popular as modern or standard. But they're, they were popular because you could start with nothing, buy a Momir Vig avatar for like two bucks, and then play as many Momir events as you want. And same with Popper. You buy a very cheap deck and you can start playing. And it's kind of the same on Arena. The deck is very cheap. However, the entrance fee is not, right? And it's not Phantom. So you're actually just buying booster packs that are subsidized. So you can't grind away at Momir. You can't grind away at Popper and use that as kind of an entry into grinding your first uh, full-fledged Tier 1 standard deck. So, you know, it's fun. People may play one or two events, but it's not the same as, you know, back in the day, I think like V3, the best thing to do was play Momir daily events. That's how you maximize money. And uh, you can play a couple of those, grind into some tickets, and then build yourself a standard deck. Like, that's not possible here. So it's, it's, it's not as casual as we want it to be. And it's more competitive. And then it defeats the point of these formats. Yeah, I think that's a, a very good way to break it down. I think if they had just taken away the booster and made it the same amount of gold, I think that would be a lot less of an issue. Because I think what people want to do, like if you enjoy Momir and you enjoy Popper, especially since the tournament is only a maximum of three games, which three games on Magic Arena does not take that long. Like uh, three games of Momir could go by in 15 minutes very easily on Magic Arena. Um, I think people want to be able to play and play and play. So I think that the fact that you 
even if you get the maximum amount of wins and go undefeated, you don't get enough gold to just jump right back into another event. I think that's the biggest thing people are kind of disappointed about. I don't think it's that the payout is bad in an absolute sense if you value a booster at a thousand gold. It's the fact that it's going to be really hard to play these formats. Like, you're going to have to save up your gold for an entire week and you're going to blow through it in like an hour or two of play because the events are so gold intensive, even if you win boosters and so short in terms of gameplay. So I think that's why people are mostly disappointed is it feels like it's going to be really difficult to play these formats often without just spending tons and tons of gold. Yeah, and I think that's actually a general complaint of Arena, right? Like, you run out of gold really fast. You can't play as much as you want. When I play Hearthstone, I'm just sitting here on like a surplus of gold and I suck, right? I, I am not like that good. I, I, you know, I play casually, but, you know, finishing my quests let, lets me play, like, three arena runs or something, right? Unless I, like, absolutely tank them, I'm going to make back enough gold to keep going. Whereas with arena, I run out of gold really fast, right? Because everything is non-phantom, I'm building a collection. But if I'm not playing standard, I don't care, right? So it you can't just play casually. You need to keep putting money in, or you need to commit to, like, say, a single standard deck and keep playing that forever. You can't just oh you know what what is the new event this week momir let me play that what is the new event next week popper let me play that oh i'm out of gold now let me just sit here and twiddle my thumbs right i know what watsi wants watsi wants you to open your wallet and buy gems in reality what you're going to do is open hearthstone and play some <laughs> arena right like that's what's <laughs> actually going to happen so i i don't know that they're they're catching the spirit of this right like people want to just play as much as they want right they they don't want to have to keep putting in gems or money and then because all of our gold is being converted to booster packs uh you know it's stopping that right there there's an exit from the, the loop here with the booster packs yeah and that's not even uh at the risk of complaining too much but they they haven't even solved the fifth copy problem so <laughs> not only does it hurt people who just want to play the formats but if you have a big collection a booster doesn't really do anything for you so you're just like kind of knowingly losing uh, the cards because you don't really get much for getting extra copies so that's kind of the other issue and i think you can get by with like standard because if you run out of gold sure you can't play a tournament but you can always do the free play ladder type stuff but i think people were really excited to be like ah it's the weekend we got this really cool pauper event i'm gonna dedicate you know a few hours of my weekend to like playing some omir on arena and then once they saw these prizes they're like oh my god i i'm not gonna be able to play this format very much and it's not like you can just jump into the free to play pauper ladder or free to play momir ladder like the only way to do it is to put out all that gold mm-hmm but uh, so I don't know hopefully Wizards make some tweaks with it and maybe changes things I know they did announce they were getting rid of the best of three tournaments and people were not super happy about that and then they listened to the feedback there and actually decided they would leave the best of three tournaments for now so maybe they will hear the feedback on Pauper and Momir and change up the prizes or change up the entry fear something so people can actually play the formats a little more often yeah we definitely need a a phantom event that people can grind away at. And they have that with the ladder, uh, but that's only for constructed. For all these special events, for uh, even like limited, that's a big complaint. It's really hard to keep playing limited because you keep converting all your money into booster packs. right? I just want to grind limited. I don't care about constructed. 
And same with this popper and same with this Momier and whatever cool events they come up with in the future. Yeah, and I think, like, uh, just one last thing. I think that the expectation has been set from paper and also Magic Online, where if you post a winning record, you get enough money to just join another event. Because that's how paper and Magic Online typically work. So I feel like Arena is going against the grain from what Magic players have been used to for so long that it makes it doubly hard for people to accept this. Like, oh, you get a tiny bit of gold back, but here's a booster pack. Because that's just not what people are used to. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I think maybe we should just move on to fish mail. All right. If you have questions, send them on Twitter to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. First question from Ring White. If ley lines were reprinted in standard, how good do you think they'll be? And which would be the worst and which would be the best? Oh, man. So... I don't know if they would be very good. I mean, I guess, like, if there's a popular graveyard deck, Leyline of the Void is a good sideboard option. If there's, like, a bird deck, Leyline of the Sanctity is good. But I'm not sure if there's any of the lane lines I can think of that would just be an obvious standard staple. Yeah, I, I think the, the ley lines we're accustomed to, I think they'd be pretty bad, right? Like, uh, if you think of the really good modern hate cards, when they were in standard, they kind of did nothing. Like, think Rest in Peace and things like that. Yeah, there was an impact, but it's not like we have degenerate combo decks in standard. I actually think, like, maybe uh, the Flash ley line, like, things like that would enable some kind of standard deck as opposed to, you know, Leyline in the Void, which is generic graveyard hate, because Wizards will never print a graveyard combo deck that kills you on turn three that requires you a Leyline at standard, right? So I, I would I would lean towards, like, the weird ones. Like, maybe there is some combo with giving all your stuff flash or something that you can pull off at standard. So I'd lean towards those weirder Leylines for what would actually be useful in standard. Yeah, that makes sense. Or maybe like the token anthem one. I could see that being yeah. pretty good in a in a token deck. I so. didn't even know what that did or existed. What is <laughs> what is the green one? Uh, so the there's a white one that's a token anthem yeah. from forever ago. The green one I think gains you a life whenever a creature enters the battlefield and gives your creatures plus zero plus one. Maybe I see. Yeah, I don't even yeah. know what half these. There's there's do. some weird ley lines. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Quilted Train. I'm currently in Mardu Pyromancer and run a split of Check and Painlands instead of Black Cleave Cliffs, and my friends keep telling me I need to upgrade. How important is the upgrade if it's the only budget substitution in my build? I mean, I guess it depends on what you're playing. If you're just playing with your friends, I think it's probably not important at all. Even in the FNM, I don't think it's that important. I think it probably costs you a very tiny bit of percentage points in certain matchups. Like, you play against Burn, sometimes you might lose a game you wouldn't have lost by having to pay life for your, for your mana. But unless you're trying to win a GP or win a Pro Tour, I just wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, it's very small, but what I this is very easy. So whenever you play a game and uh, you draw a check or pain land, you ask yourself, if this was a Black Cleave Cliffs, would it be better or worse? And you need to make sure you cover both cases, right? Because you're always going to remember the terrible case where you're like, okay, I drew two check lands and all my lands come to play tap. This is useless. But sometimes it's your fourth land and you're like, well, actually, the check land here is better than Black Leaf Cliffs. 
So I would just write that down and then you would see, okay, in general, it actually doesn't matter or more often than not, it does matter and it costs me this many games. So then you can actually make a decision for yourself. Uh, next question, Elite 10. I heard a stereotype that most Magic players were raised being praised that they were smart kids. Is this true in your experience? Um, were you called a smart kid because you played Magic? Or vice versa? I didn't, I didn't play Magic when I was a kid, so... <laughs> were you called a smart adult? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's like an even split. Some people think no, some people... I think someone said that once about me, though, that I was smart. <laughs> I, I feel like... This is probably true. I, I, I feel like maybe it's not like causation. It's just correlation. Like magic has some appeal to like nerdier kids, you know, kids that like to read fantasy books or whatever, right? Where they have good imaginations or things like that. And then that tends to have people call them smart. But I don't think that magic makes you smart or being smart makes you play. Like, I, I don't know. It's hard to draw that. But I would be... I would say it's over 50% that people that play Magic as a kid, they were called smart. Now, whether they're smart or not, the, the joke's on them. <laughs> Cardboard crack was not very smart at all, but here we are. Uh, Taskmaster1995, I have not seen you play a Greater Gargadon deck in a while. I feel like every third video you used to play one. What's up with that? Hmm... I don't know. Did we really play that many Greater Gargadon decks? I'll have to I'll have to go back and look. I remember playing it in like Restore Balance. There might have been a couple other ones. Maybe we're about due for some more Greater Gargadon action. You need action. a new card. Plus, you have too much Panharmonicon on you. You need. Uh, <laughs> we need a uh, new card. You're like, well, Panharmonicon's about to rotate, so yeah. I'm gonna have to find a new card, or uh, I don't know what I'll do. And then you'll keep jamming it into modern decks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vintage Panharmonicon. Here we come. All right, run Thunder Snow. Seth, I have a new idea for you. Quotes, decks I loathe. Once a month or once a set, you play a deck you hate. You have to play all versions of Tron, Infect, Boggles, KCI, <laughs> and any I'm missing. You can have KCI versus Eggs as well. Maybe that would be cool. I know the one time we played Boggles because it was the most popular instant deck tech. I actually kind of enjoyed it as much as it pains me to say Monster. that it was kind of fun. So, <laughs> so maybe we should, maybe I should branch out and play some more decks that I don't like. Seth's been living a double life. He's secretly a Boggles <laughs> KCI player. Yeah, I have a fake, like a, a throwaway Moto name, and I got a bunch of five O's with Boggles. <laughs> we we got to check. No one top. knows it's me. Yeah, we got to check who the top <laughs> Boggles player is. Sometimes I call Seth, and he's like, "Slippery Boggles, yes." <laughs> <laughs> Murph Classics. What do you think a sideboard, a Turbo Fog sideboard plan of Spyglass uh, swapped in for naming Teferi, Carnage Tire, Superpod, and Nezahal for other control decks? Wait, hmm. wait. So for Turbo Fog, you put in you put Spyglass into into your sideboard, and then you swap it with Teferi. Uh, I think Teferi is literally the most important card in the Turbo Fog deck, so I couldn't imagine there being any card in standard I would rather have in my deck than Teferi yeah. in Turbo Fog. I believe you've called the deck Turbo Teferi. It really is. Like, Nexus gets all the credit, partly because it was a promo and everyone made a big deal about it, but Teferi is the card that makes that deck work. Alright, Random Cahill, for long term, would you buy or keep Nexus of Fate? 
Where are we on Nexus of Fate? Oh, we didn't talk about this because it was last week, right? But Wizards came out and said uh, there's the same supply uh, or there's more there's more supply of Nexus of Fate than a Mythic from Corset 2019. It's really interesting. Uh, Nexus of Fate, it's the TCG mid is still at like $34, but the cheapest prices you can buy them for has been steadily dropping down to like just under $25. So I don't really know. I, I think that the card will remain heavily played after rotation. It works so well with Teferi and Search for Ascanta and both those cards stay in the format. Whether or not the supply will dry up, I see a lot of copies for sale right now. So, ah. I mean, I guess over the long, long term, people will want it for Commander, so it's probably an okay hold, but I don't know. We're still in just uncharted territory when it comes to Nexus of Fate, really. Yeah, I, I have a feeling Wizards will do something about it eventually. Uh, like, maybe release it as an FNM promo or something like that. Maybe not within the next year or so, but maybe in two years or things like that. I, I feel like they would do something with this either reprint it in a real product or give it away as promos or whatever like it's it's the card they have that they can use now and i believe they're going to use it to sell something or to promote something hey, yeah it could easily be in a master set like a few years from now if it remained 25 dollars, like that they could easily buy do a that. box promo masters only when you buy a box <laughs> do you get <laughs> do you get a chance to get this card uh Fractured Phage. In your article, The Fake Card Problem, where you talk about counterfeit cards, you mentioned that modern needs to be more expensive than standard. Uh, why do you think this is the case? Can you elaborate? Uh, so basically, Wizards makes their money primarily off standard, and that's the format they want the most people playing and need the most people playing because that's what moves the booster boxes and most of the supplemental products. So I think from Wizards' perspective, they don't want necessarily modern to be what it is today, which is like when we did the article a couple weeks ago, almost $1,000 on average for some of the most played decks. But it does need to be maybe like twice the price of standard. I think in an ideal world, you'd have standard decks be maybe $200, $250, give or take, and then have modern decks in the $500 range. So people will still mostly play standard because it's the cheapest format. Because the risk is if modern was cheaper than standard, a lot of people would just be like, well, modern's arguably more fun than standard my cards are going to maintain value longer because there's no rotation why would i ever build a standard deck and wizards needs people to build standard decks to support their whole model of selling product all right last question 11 vicious what was your favorite top deck moment in magic what deck did you play and how close was the game oh geez do you know this off the top of your head richard Mm, nope. <laughs> I, I I remember I remember the situation, but I don't remember the cards. I was playing mono black control and Thero standard, and it was it was one of those. Oh, it's when Seth started playing Magic. I had to throw that in there. <laughs> but it was something like I could remove my opponent's creature on board or something, which would be the best play for the board state. But I knew I wouldn't win the game. Or I could hope to top deck this specific card and that would let me win the game. And then I actually did that and then I won the game. 
And I'm like, aha, reading all those magic articles paid off, <laughs> right? Like and that was like the moment where it's like, yeah, you don't do, you don't do the play that's most obvious or best for the situation. You do the play that will allow you to win the game. So I played to my out, and then I actually top decked my out, which was like a one in forty or whatever, right? And then, but I don't remember what the actual top deck was, but probably something to do with pack rats and removal or something, or Gary, probably Gary. I don't know. <laughs> I know for me, it's probably a top deck to win an against the odds game, which probably on a week where I had lost a ton, but I can't think, I know it's happened at least a few times, but I can't think of like this specific episode at the moment where, where after losing like five matches in a row, we finally draw the card at the perfect time and win the game. But I know that that's what it would be if I could think of the time where it happened. We're going to need to... Against the odds specialist to go through our videos and figure out this. Uh, I'm pretty I'm sure, sure that's almost like every against the odds. Set. <laughs> yeah, that that is probably true. It happens uh, most every week. Yeah. All right, that's oh. all our questions this week. Thank you for everyone who sent them in. If you have questions in the future, send them to the hashtag #MBGFishmail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I think that brings us to the end of episode 185 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard, thanks for hanging out. Everyone, thank you for listening. And uh, one more time, a shout-out to the sponsor of today's stream, SpiceAcademy.com. Check them out. Get 10% off with the code GOLDFISH over at SpiceAcademy.com. So, again, thanks for listening. We will be back next week. CVM should be back to join us as well to talk some more magic. So have a wonderful week, and this is the crew signing out. (laughs) 